Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey all, this is Dr. Nadipuram, your friendly neighborhood pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. Josh, while we were prepping for this episode, I clicked on the Google Doodle for today, and it came up for Sheikh Dean Mohammed, an Indian Muslim traveler, surgeon, and entrepreneur who was one of the most notable early non-European immigrants to the Western world, and he introduced Indian cuisine, shampoo baths to Europe, and he was one of the first, uh, or he was the first Indian to publish a book in English. This is so cool. Indian doctor who brought Indian food to the Western world. I bet it was cold. That's not the, ah. Uh... So, it's an alternate week, and you know what that means, presumably. <laughs> that was the least confident way you're just like hey most you're probably listening to this for the first time so sorry sorry about that weird intro now that we've hooked you welcome to journal club <laughs> so confident and just tanked yeah it's Woo! time for another journal club Yay! yeah everybody knows that I just, I want to be like 200 years from now when, you know, an archivist is like, you know, comes upon Travel Medicine Podcast and he's like, <laughs> ah, that's where Journal Club Alternate Weeks began. If only yeah. we could find these journals which they refer to. <laughs> there are no show notes. Oh, if you're listening, uh, journals were like that conscious 
you know, the, the constant stream of information that's probably being beamed into your head, only it was made of chopped up trees. Publishing was really important because back then publications meant money and money. I don't know how to explain money to future people. Well, before we start talking to the next generation, let's yeah. back up and talk about what they do to relax. Because, you know, scientific research can be pretty stressful. You've been doing it for years. And I've watched your fro grow and shrink, you know, over your workload. <laughs> There's various things. It'll be like my fro will grow and shrink. That's like a long-term type of thing. So what's your favorite way to calm down? I, I go uh, rock climbing with my kids. That's kind of fun. Video games can be fun. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned video games. I'm glad you mentioned video games because we all know they could be a great way to relax unless, of course, you're getting your behind handed to you by 10-year-olds in another country playing Fortnite. <laughs> Just tell I advise you not to play that game unless you're between the ages of 10 and 15 because... You're just, you're never, ever going to catch up ever again. But now there is a new study out that shows video games may be helpful therapeutically for a lot more. In fact, one specific video game may even help to lessen the effects of PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder. If you had to pick one video game that you think would be most relaxing to people that might help alleviate the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> what video game uh, would you pick? Uh, something, it, it would have to be like really relaxing or something. Oh, like Wii Fishing. Santos, you know my history with the ocean. I don't know why you think. <laughs> there are no digital seals to come up and bite your hand. All right, all right. In I, a, <laughs> I need a relaxing video game to calm me down from that flashback. I'm going to say... Uh, oh yeah you're talking about tetris how is this i mean the early level sure you know you're dropping down nice and slow boom you get a tetris and shoot a you know shot of dopamine like that but like that those later levels those kind of freak you out for those yeah for those of you born i don't know sometime after us we'll just leave it at that there was an right. old oh, video yeah, game. Oh, God. to be fair, it's been revamped so many times. If you're a gamer, you know Tetris. Swedish researchers at the hospital Bochum and Karolinska Institute, which I mispronounced, who hope to develop <laughs> an avenue of treatment who cannot access conventional help are conducting okay. a preliminary study in this. So previous research found that Tetris can be used to suppress flashbacks caused by horror films if played shortly after viewing the movie. So if you're ever scared after watching a scary movie, know that Tetris then does have some of these memory-suppressing effects, and they wanted to see if it could make it go full-on Men in Black. Kessler's team worked with 20 patients with post-traumatic stress disorder, oh, all of whom oh, agreed to be hospitalized okay. for six to eight weeks for regular therapy, as well as a special <laughs> intervention in addition to the regular Yeah, okay. okay. Every participant wrote down one stressful memory on a sheet of paper to act as a reminder and bring the event to the forefront of their attention. They would look at the sheet, then tear it up without talking about the content or sharing it with anyone. So, 
you know, the researchers didn't see what they wrote down. And they would play Tetris on a tablet for about 25 minutes. They were also asked to record any flashbacks they experienced over the course of the trial. So the frequency of the targeted flashbacks, meaning flashbacks about the specific things they had written down, did in fact Uh, increase for about 6% on average. Whereas flashbacks for just random things they had not decided to focus on only fell by about 11%. And this was shown to have a significant effect. Now, it was a small study, only about 16 of 20 people. So we don't know if we can expand this out into greater numbers yet. But for the trial size, that is statistically significant. Yay for statistical significance! So, uh, I mean, statistical significance is important, you know, for, for kind of showing differences between groups. But I, I think it is important to note here, like, how different the two outcomes were, right? The reason they thought this may work is that playing Tetris, you're activating manipulation areas in the brain okay, or visual spatial areas, which overlie the same areas you use to visualize memories during traumatic flashbacks. So by kind of fatiguing the visual spatial by flipping the Tetris pieces around, and trying to find that perfect Tetris, you are making your cells too tired to experience the same action for flashbacks. It creates interference in those oh, areas. Oh, nice. That's actually a really cool rationale. So you're basically like interrupting those circuits that, you know, get all kind of like overloaded when you're just trying to breathe and stay calm. The next nice. time you have something you'd like to forget... You could just plop yourself down in front of one of the oldest games. And you know, the composer of the Tetris music hates that that's what it's remembered for. (laughs) Well, to be fair, I think a lot of people uh, who are, you know, that this level of artist hate their best work. Like when Oasis was around, you could not get them to play Wonderwall again. Today is going to be the day that they're going to bring it back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was said in like such an <laughs> ominous tone too i love that well moving on yeah. to our next story this is actually an old story with a young fresh new infusion of data you said infusion did you mean transfusion well i suppose you are transposing it from the young to the elderly through <laughs> vampire fashion you and vampires i i think you may have an obsession first off I appreciate all supernatural creatures. Let's not limit it down. Second, I'm not the researcher who decided a good treatment for Parkinson's is to take blood from the young and give it to the old. No, you're not. Are you kind of sort of jealous that you didn't think of it first? I didn't think of it first. (laughs) (laughs) There he is. Just wasting their youth all over the place. I'll tell you what. Terrible. (laughs) Did you just say what? Did you just say what? I tell you what. (laughs) Alkahest, a firm co-founded... So we've talked about this story before in mice, taking blood from young mice and injecting it into older mice to reverse the aging process. Yeah, and and I think the the preliminary results on this were just super cool that... um, you know, you actually could reverse signs of aging by just giving these mice the blood of younger mice. Right. 
So Tony Weiss-Curray of Stanford University, California, took a look at that trial and wanted to expand it out. And he did go through all the proper channels. He's, this is not mad science that he's practicing here. This this was actually very, you know, carefully reviewed by review boards and safety so and ethics and all that some fun stuff. blood-based treatments in people with Alzheimer's. And now in the latest trial, 90 people with Parkinson's disease, mild Parkinson's disease, mostly in their 70s and 80s, will receive injections of young blood five days in a row, and then again three months later with tests determining whether the treatment improves their memory, attention, language, motor function, any of those. And it's inspired by these mouse trials. So they've spent the last several years taking different extracts or cocktails of young human blood and injecting it into old mice. <laughs> and by extracts and cocktails, what we're talking about is components of the blood. So when you have something that works, as in you're, you're kind of approaching it from the big picture that like, oh, this blood from the younger mouse when transfused into the older mouse makes them act young again. Well, what part of it is there? So extracting pieces are parts of the serum or extracting um, now, antibodies and things like this. Blood plasma transfusions to relieve mild to moderate Alzheimer's. In, in the mouse model. So, so like now, mouse Alzheimer's. Say, when yeah. we're talking about in all of these trials where they're using young blood, there's not a team of scientists driving around in a van filled with candy, taking people off the street. <laughs> they they are not specifically yeah. sourcing the blood from raves and music festivals. They are using blood from collection <laughs> banks who the average age of the donor is 32. Yeah. Recent studies, they've learned that a specific component, or they're calling it a fraction, which is a mixture of about a thousand different proteins, mm -hmm. has some particularly pow powerful effects Whereas older mice who got this blood performed like young mice in cognitive tests, they grew new brain cells and inflammation in the brain decreased. So they think something about that mix of proteins has all these effects, but they haven't figured out which of the thousand some odd proteins it is. Okay, gotcha. So this is the gambit to kind of narrow down the candidates which are causing the observed effect, which is to make the older mice so act younger. So there's two concurrent trials. Part of it is continuing the mouse studies to see if they can isolate the specific proteins, but they feel that in the absence of any existing treatments, they, and in the lack of danger that have been proven from mouse models, they're going to start giving this same fraction of a thousand protein cocktails to 90 people with Parkinson's and seeing if they experience the ones. And then they can continue refining to improve the treatments that or the uh, improvements that the people get. So you go a little bit step by step. Um, the other thing that we should mention here is that they're monitoring safety the whole way. So at any time, if you get odd, strange results if you start to find um, things like morbidity, um, where people are getting sick instead of better, um, then, you know, things get and reviewed and potentially healthy. The safety of blood transfusion has been pretty well established for a number of years, and there's nothing radioactive being added in. Like, there's no chemotherapy, <laughs> there's no 
antibiotics, they're looking at just proteins in a blood transfusion. So this doesn't really have to go through some of the same hoops that new drugs and trials do. Right. So you're using um, an established treatment modality or therapy that has been already shown to work for other conditions in humans and adapting it for a different purpose. This would be a huge advantage if they're able to narrow down the specific proteins because donor blood is in pretty limited supply. That's why there's frequently blood drives. And people who do experience a benefit with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's would need regular transfusions which there certainly wouldn't be enough to go around, and they would develop other antibody-related problems similar to people who have sickle cell or kidney disease or require frequent blood transfusion. So that brings us to our next story, which is how do we create more blood? This this one's brand new. And um, keep in mind, uh, those of you who have been listening for a long time, uh, doctors and scientists have been... Working with synthetic blood products or developing synthetic blood products for a very long time. Whole red blood cells are made in the bone marrow. That's that's a little factory where they're created and then shipped out and specialized from there. Mm -hmm. Now, Alison Blair at the University of Bristol in the United Kingdom and her colleagues have extracted some of the stem cells from the bone marrow and figured out ways to increase their yield and turn them into tiny little factories to produce functioning red blood cells. Next year, she has found 10 volunteers who will each get a tiny teaspoon of fluid injected, not swallowed, injected of these <laughs> new mass-producing stem cells, to, which will be labeled with a mildly radioactive tracer to see how long they survive in the body compared with ordinary cells. So this would be the first kind of not quite, but almost artificial blood. Yeah. So this is, and it's the very like first, first, first type of trial um, where we're actually examining whether this would work. You know, you're, you're talking about a teaspoon of blood, right, Josh? Just a teaspoon of stem cells help the reticulocytes. (laughs) No, helps the, the medicine go, up, go down? No, that's oh, <laughs> I missed it. I missed the pun. So, this is this is why I love to have you around because you can catch all the part of the reason <laughs> an artificial blood would be great, aside from the ability to finally give something to anemic Jehovah's Witnesses, would help blood shortages. Now, most of the time, the reason for blood shortage is well, people with different blood groups donate at different rates, and blood groups are also pretty rare. Or can be. There are some of us who are universal donors, even though it's good to use that blood for people in an emergency, you do want as close to your blood type as possible when you're receiving now, chronic I personally am a type O universal donor. So anytime I accidentally cut myself, if I bleed on somebody, I tell them and I say, you should save that. I'm a <laughs> It could come in handy someday. <laughs> No, not not even a little creepy. Not even kind of sort of way super creepy. But yeah. the blood shortages may soon be a thing of the past because I believe this is another slightly older story, Santosh, but scientists have found bacterial enzymes that can turn at least type A blood into type O 
and a lot faster than the previous methods we had around. Oh, nice! Yeah, I I did see this. This was going around a little while back. This was actually a basic sciences yes. journal. I, I believe this was in Nature, right, Josh? Yeah. So this is. Uh, I mean, the the idea behind this has a, a huge implication for clinical medicine, especially in the field of transfusion medicine. But just finding this enzyme was just a super, super find because it can be used in research. It can be used even transplant uh, somewhere in the future. Um, but finding an enzyme that can cut off the the little determinants on the surface of red blood cells which are made up of sugar and proteins, mostly sugar, that, you know, if you, if you can find an enzyme which efficiently cuts these off, you can immediately turn any blood type into type O, right essentially. There, because as long as you get blood from somewhere, you can immediately give it without worrying about the reactions. So yeah. this team of researchers, yeah. Steve Withers at the University of British Columbia, presented this last August at the American Chemical Society. So what they did is they took a look and they said, well, these flags on red blood cells are basically the same as sugars that are produced on the lining of the gut. So they started by looking in the gut for any kind of sugar stripping enzyme in human feces that they thought would be effective. And they found a... Because that's where true. you look for sugar, sugar stripping enzymes. I'll tell you Ain't that. no sugar strippers like human <laughs> excrement. <laughs> it actually, uh, non-ironically, it works really, really well because a lot of the bacteria that we have in our gut work to actually uh, break down metabolites for us so macronutrients um you know sugars fats proteins we can break down some of them and absorb them but a lot of the time we rely on our gut bacteria to break some of that stuff down for us so that we can you know so they enjoy our nutrition strain that did manage to rip these sugars off very quickly and they put it into their own custom cell and wonder of wonders, you performed the magic of changing one blood type into type O. Yay! So they don't That's have a so way awesome. to change from A to B yet. But honestly, if you have O, you can, again, universal donor. So you should be fine. And this is something that we should start <laughs> to see probably within the next year or two. Yeah. So it's it's pretty close to being used broadly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it really needs to be optimized. This is a few of these steps that you need in order to kind of mass produce these enzymes um, and they will be looking then once they want to implement it into humans whether it's safe applied to a human blood product if it can be then removed so that you don't have it still floating around when you transfuse it because um, probably you don't want to give this enzyme along with the blood that you're transfusing so you know that's that's a couple different yeah. stories about blood for you and i'm not good at segues <laughs> but if i yep. were to pass on the next water story um, it would be about controlling your bladder okay. yes. <laughs> that was one of your better ones i would say <laughs> i just i didn't get a i didn't get a green light from santosh <laughs> to go ahead with this story so, so blue right uh, now. one problem in All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. is overactive bladders 
Also a problem in a large proportion of America if you watch a certain hour of daytime TV. Gotta go, gotta go, gotta go right now. <laughs> well, although we're dating ourselves a no, little bit, sure I don't know if that commercial still shows. People with bladder sure, dysfunction sure. experience frequent... Wait, wait, let me say this like one of the commercials. People with bladder dysfunction experience an uncontrolled Got- urges to urinate before their bladder is full. The condition caused by the condition is caused by hyperactive signaling between the brain and the bladder. Smooth like butter. Now, there have been several I devices love it. I absolutely love it. developed that can potentially stop this urinary incontinence caused by bladder dysfunction by applying a very weak little barely noticeable electric current to parts of the nervous system involved in brain bladder signaling. How (laughs) shocking, I know. Shocking. Yeah. (laughs) No, this is, um, this is the same idea as, um, kind of pacing wires, right? Either for the heart or the types of, um, electrodes that are placed in the brain for Parkinson's for neuronal pacing. The, the idea behind this is that, you know, the, the contraction, the, the, the action of the bladder is almost as kind of beautiful and poetic and coordinated as a heartbeat. And it requires, it is, it is, it's like a bladder beat. And it requires a coordinated contraction, you know, kind of going over the, bla- the, the body I of the bladder as it squeezes sort of from top to bottom and you pushes and your, your urine up. You are beautiful, like a beating yeah. bladder. It is though. No, no. I had this. I had this conversation with a urologist, and usually those guys are all like cut, cut, hack, hack, you know, whatever, because it's you know surgical subspecialty. But this guy, doctor, yeah, I think it was Doctor Blunt. I love that name for a urologist. And this guy was a fantastic surgeon, but he also had a fascination with the physiology of the urinary tract. Oh, yeah. Devices exist that can help with this, but the problem is they're pretty big. They require battery boxes outside the body, so you look like a little energizer bunny, and they don't exclusively stimulate bladder nerves. So you could have uh, changes or loss of sensation in your glutes or even down to you know some of your legs, or there could be some side effects that you may not want. However, Robert Garreau at Washington University in St. Louis has developed a fully implantable device to tackle this problem that stimulates bladder nerves specifically. So it's got three main parts, a light metal ring that wraps around the bladder, a thin control center, and two green LED lights. Okay, so four parts, two green LED lights. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is, it's a little different. This is, this is the mouse experiment. Well, okay. This is not necessarily what's going to be implanted wrapped in Wrapped it human. around the rat bladder, which I can't imagine is any more invasive than say a vasectomy. And the metal ring would measure changes uh-huh. in bladder size. If it detected that a rat was urinating more than two times an hour based on the frequency with which the ring is distended, the LED lights would be switched on. Then, and now here's where you're like, oh, well, they cheated and kind of buried the lead in the story here. The rats had previously received gene therapy that enabled their nerve cells involved in bladder brain signaling to make a light-sensitive protein. 
So when the mm-hmm. LEDs were switched on, the light activated this gene therapy place protein, right. and that blocked urination signals from the bladder from reaching the brain. Meaning, whether if the bladder wasn't full but was sending signals to the brain, the LED light was flipped on and just telling the brain, "Don't even worry about this. We're good." I I think I I really like the concept of this overall uh, because. You know, you're basically activating a set of neurons by just using a light. The best part about this, Josh, is that this technology was developed to fire off particular neurons in the brain. And I think we'd shown this before, and there's a few articles you can find online with, you know, uh, mice running around with like little LEDs attached under their skull, and they're, they're trailing wires so that the doctor's the researchers can turn the LEDs on and off, and then it'll make the the mice do different things based on what neurons fire. But this guy was like, hey, there are neurons everywhere. There's even neurons in the bladder. Why don't we take those, you know, the same technology that we used in the brain to turn on and off, you know, things that would turn on hunger or, you know, other, you know, motor function in the brain and things like that. But just put those neurons, you know, that gene technology and the neurons in the bladder and then use the same light on and off technology. He did. And, and he made it work. Because bladder it's, it's absolutely is very fantastic. In rats and humans, this is something that, again, could be very easily applicable to those who suffer different kinds of bladder dysfunction. However, One modification that would have to be made because the human bladder is thicker instead of a green light in rats, humans would require probably a red light that could penetrate further into the tissue. So, you know, red light, stop, green light, go. (laughs) Or would it be go with a yellow light? Like amber light kind of thing? No, no, no. The issue here is in order to make it work in a human being is you need to make it such that the the nervous tissue or the neuronal tissue in the bladder is light responsive and going from, oh, we use this gene technology in mice to engineer the neurons this way to making this work in humans is kind of a big leap. So that's the biggest thing. Um, I, I don't believe we've ever, ever used this type of light therapy in anything other than you know lab animals Unless you're in because it, doing this type of gene manipulation what? for neurons in the human being is just <laughs> we're, we're not to that point yet future X-Men it. unite so this is what we're going to end on again is friggin x-men powers we we went from shining a light an led in mice wow. To activating their bladder all the way to wanting X-Men powers. You know what your superpower is? Crappy segues. There you go. (laughs) In what is a slight exaggeration, but still a very optimistic headline, three people with paralysis can walk again thanks to a nerve-boosting implant. Oh, yeah. We may have... Uh, spoken about this previously, but I absolutely love this story. This is a feel-good story if there ever was one of 2018. Yeah, so there were three people at the University of Louisville who were treated by their Kentucky Spinal Cord Injury Research Center, which I know I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong parts of that sentence, and you can't stop me. 
So down here at the Kentucky Spinal Cord Injury Research Center. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Paralyzed from the waist down. And the treatment of all three involved sure. a lot of physical therapy as well as electrical stimulation from a spinal implant. So a panel of electrodes was implanted in each of the patient's lower back, turning them into early versions of the Terminator. With paralysis, what happens usually is the link between the brain and the muscles is severed at the level of the spinal cord. But the theory is that this implant can conduct electrical symbols, can conduct electrical signals and bridge the gap. So some of the remaining connections at either end can survive the injury. They're just too weak to stimulate movement alone. So they were scheduled for three months really of exercises after one month of the regime and spinal implant one of these formerly paralyzed patients okay. had begun standing on a treadmill. Now he's able to walk using a front wheeled walker. He's able to walk a distance of 102 meters, which is pretty significant for somebody okay. who was paralyzed. Nice. Nice. It's, it's, it is, it's not, you know, a, a marathon or anything, but that's pretty cool. And I will say that, you know, the closest we had come to this a little while back in humans was using like a giant exoskeleton, right? Like a, oh, your favorite, like an Iron Man type. Hey, one small step for man, one giant robot for mankind. (laughs) Well, that's a giant friggin' robot, right? That is a beautiful quote. Uh, of all the crazy things you've said, I, I love that quote. So using electrodes or exoskeletons or even Wi-Fi Bluetooth signals that let you telepathically control robot prosthetics, there's a lot of steps. Uh, there's a lot of technology currently available that can help a number of people overcome what. Uh, can help a number of people overcome disabilities or handicaps. You know, I'm super, super helpful, uh, hopeful, I should say, uh, about the future after looking through this stuff. All right. Was that um, professional enough for you, Santosh? It was, it was like a feel-good story, and it, and it was so happy. I, I love it. Love. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, <laughs> and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, <laughs> or financially, yeah. links to do that are in the show notes, along with any sources we use for this episode. Our theme music is by Rachel Ledger. The show was created by me with a lot of help from all our co-hosts. Um, give us a listen on Radio Public, because we make money that way. Or... If you're listening somewhere else, leave us a rating or a review. It helps other people find the show, and that no, that's it. It helps other people find the show. That's that's what I want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was it. And but I'll I'll add in it. It it gives us the feels. You know, it gives us the feel yeah. goods to know that so, you guys are like as always. You're working with us next time. And, um, Happy travels. And, and that you're. Bye, guys.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.